college, I had to wrench my cigar in the restaurant parking lot. So all day, I've kind of had that feeling of an unfinished, you know, must be rectified. Why not pick it up on your, on your way out when you're done? Because you didn't have enough? I didn't have enough, and I despise doing that. See, for something that short order, I don't mind it. Oh, I, d- I despise laying a cigar down and letting it go out and then picking up and lighting again. I know there's people that can do it. Nothing wrong with it. But I'm just not one of those guys. That's I've, funny. I want to finish it or not start it. Right. And all the, the the laying it down and then coming back in 20, 30 minutes after it's gone out and relighting it, I just feel like I've lost all my momentum, all of my drive, all of my desire. There is a, stripped I mean, away from me. There is a, a point of no return, though. Sure. You know, because that happens occasionally where I'll be on my way home and it'll be like, it, and I'll misjudge how much time I have where I got a late start or I let it go out because I was talking or something. And you go, I got to go inside because the babysitter needs to go home. But I, this isn't enough to come back to. Like, there's definitely right. that, you know, three inches is kind of the minimum. And even that's too short. Yeah, anything, a th- I think a third of the size of yeah. a total cigar is about it. Which, yeah. speaking of cigars, a third of the size. <laughs> yeah, this one is, isn't it? So, we're smoking the new, I bought the new Freestyle Live pack when it came out this week. Because I tend to do that. Because I yeah. approve of how Drew Estate does that. Right. Drew Estate does their freestyle, introduces their new cigars via their Freestyle Live packs. They send them out, no labels, nothing like that on them. You smoke them, and then you make your judgment. Right. So, I like that. Now, it's funny, if you follow the Drew Estate Facebook page, there's guys that are cutting these open, they're dissecting them, they're trying to separate binder from filler. There's guys who have made it their mission in life to figure out what this cigar is. Right. Do they think Drew Estate's going to call them up and go, you win. Yeah. You get the Wonka factory. Yeah, apparently there's something, something about that. But I think it's just, it's that human desire to... To be, to be, you're either that guy or you're not. Yeah. I mean, I can appreciate it. I, I certainly understand feeling that way, wanting, wanting to figure it out. So these are Papa Frida's size. If you ever had the mm-hmm. Drew Estate Papa Frida, they're kind of, I guess, what do you call it? A little bit. Panatella? Yeah, something like that. I'll be interested. The tobacco looks like a Liga tobacco. Uh, the one I dis- seen dissected online definitely looked like it was a medium filler cigar. Okay. So it's going to be interesting to smoke them and see. And I haven't smoked one yet. I thought I would smoke the first one on the podcast with you so we could get our, our separate opinions about that. All right. Well, while you get yours lit up, you know, it's funny. I'm thinking two things. You, you mentioned that it looking like medium filler. I mean, the size of the cigar this is... <clears throat> You know, short filler is going to look like medium filler, or, or or maybe I've got that backwards. I don't know because it's such a small cigar. It also makes me think. I wonder what a Liga short filler or medium filler, like like a Torcid or a Fuma from Liga Tobacco, would, would do. That smells great, Papas Fritas. That's what the Papas Fritas yeah. are: is their leftover Liga yeah. Tobacco. Hold on a second, I ain't I ain't got it totally lit. But it smells very. It smells like a Liga, honestly, or an Undercrown. Like, it's got that same... To me, just on the first blush, having just fired it up, it's a Papa's Frida's H99 or H90, whatever. They're they're special edition that you can only get at the shows. You know, you have the 
the regular Liga, then you have the T-52s, and then they have the H-90 that you can get, you know, thing. and I've had a couple of H-90s. To me, this definitely tastes, it tastes more like a T-52 or an H-90 than a regular Liga. You know, when you said that the wrapper reminded you of Liga, I, I kind of thought you were crazy a little bit, but if I'm thinking T-52, that makes a little more sense. Yeah, it kind of has that same that same vein to it. So, this week we got back from the mountains, seen four elk. That was a lot of fun. Oh, nice. But I had an encounter at the farmer's market. And you'll have to tell me, am I the jerk? This is, this is the Is Shane a Jerk segment of the show. And so, we go to the farmer's market. And the guy is in there. We see he has a black lab. Mm-hmm. And the black lab is sitting there on top of its kennel being, being a black lab. And I walk up, and the guy's a dog trainer. So I say to the guy, oh, okay. And he says, what do you... I said, well, we have a black lab. He said, well, does he walk on a leash well? I said, yes. He said, would you like him to learn to walk without a leash? And I said, no. I think people are obnoxious that walk their dogs without a leash. Yeah. I think there's nothing more obnoxious you can be as a human being then, oh, I trust my dog to walk on the leash, or walk about the leash. And the, and the guy, and I, to his credit, he kept swinging, even after I told him his idea was obnoxious. <laughs> he kept swinging. He said, well, some people would, and with my training, they can walk without a leash. And I said, okay, how do you train to walk? He said, well, I use this. I said, oh, so it's a shock collar. Well, it's a stimulator device. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I'll, As so, if he's got anything new under the sun. Yeah. So it's it went scale from zero to a hundred, and he said, and you know some people feel it at eleven or twelve, and some people feel it at this. I said, put it in my hand. So because I'm I'm not going to put nothing on my dog that I'm not going to do on myself. Right. So he put it in my hand. Did ten nothing, twelve nothing, eighteen nothing. Finally gets to twenty four, and I feel a little pulse. Yeah. And I said, okay, so it's a shock collar. That was a shock. Well, it's a stimulating reminder. And then this poor dog, he starts trying to... He's got one of the collars on it, and he starts shocking this poor dog. And the dog just loses his mind. He's totally nervous. He's scared to death. He doesn't know what he did wrong. Yeah, his will is totally shattered. Right. Because this jackass with this shock collar is trying... And he's trying to get other people to hire him to let him do this to their dog. Jeez. I just... I mean, am I the jerk? (laughs) Benny would eat his face off if he tried that. Like, he doesn't respond to that kind of training at all. And I can't, it, you know, with dog training, you know, it, it's it's one of those things, and obviously I'm in the thick of it right now, but, and, you know, humans are animals just a little bit high, more highly evolved. If you wouldn't want it to be trained, somewhat, like if your boss just had a shock collar every time he didn't like your output at work, would you continue to work for that man? Right. Like, well, not only that, dog training is a fine line. How much do you train a dog before you take the spirit out of the animal? Before it's no longer joy and all the things that make a dog good? You know, and here's, and, and I'll say, so we started working with a professional dog trainer this week. We actually are on our second dog trainer. And I'll tell you more about that after the show because it wouldn't make for good podcast content. But one of the things that the one we're working with has said that I really like she was, you know, first of all, the whole alpha thing we, we know has been debunked. Like the, the alpha mentality, establishing self as alpha in the house, like that's not, that's not how it works. It's because dogs don't 
dogs and, and animals and pack animals, the alpha thing is not, it, it's a myth. I don't know that I agree with that, but carry Of course on. you don't. Just because you don't agree with something doesn't mean it's, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to crap on your point. By all, all right. means, carry on. But I, I, but I did not want it put on record. Shane still believes in the alpha principle. I know you do. But it, because, it, it, think about it, to draw the business metaphor again, like, just because someone's the CEO doesn't mean they're the top dog, Right. They have the position, but it doesn't mean they're the smartest. It doesn't mean they're the most equipped to lead people. It means they're. It means they make the shareholders happy and make the most money. But that's not. So what you want to do is establish yourself as a leader and more of a pack leader. And it's it can be seen as a bit of a semantic argument, but it's all about how you communicate. And it goes back to your point about, you know, you want you want it to be fun. You want it to be engaged. You want the dog to do what you want it to do. Because it feels in partnership with the direction you're going, not just because if I don't, I'll get shocked. You know, it's it's funny. When we first brought Benny home, I thought one of his ears was paralyzed because it was always pinned back. Right. And through some of the work we've been doing with the and, and understanding kind of his motivation and how he's viewing the world right now, it's because he's pretty much been terrified since he came to live with us. And since working with this trainer, his ears are up. He's got that alert. He's curious more. It's, it's amazing when you tap into the dog's motivation, just like when you tap into an employee's motivation, like how much that changes. Well, as everything, it's a spectrum. Some employees and some dogs, you can motivate them on an intellectual level. Some employees and some dogs, you've got to make them scared. So, and ironically, far more employees than dogs. Right. But what you want is you want the dog to feel security because you're telling it what to do. Yeah, it's you all about... You want it to establish a structure. Yeah, it's all about building trust. Right. You know, and it's the same thing I did with my kids, you know, and I've said this forever. From the time my daughter, who's 15 today, by the way, if you could believe that, by the time I... From the moment I started talking to her, it was always, I need you to do this because. I need you to do this because. And you know what we didn't have to deal with that is the bane of every parent's existence? The why phase. My daughter has never asked me why. Because you told her. Because, well, or even now if I tell her to do something or ask her to do something without giving the reason, she has, we've built that trust where she knows if I'm asking her to do something, it's because I have a reason and we can... We can worry about the fine print later, but for now, okay, it's justified. There's that trust there. And it's the same thing with the dog. Well, you know, it's funny because it's something I was pondering after our conversation last week about intelligence. And the difference between intelligent people and unintelligent people is the distance in which your brain makes connections. If you're just telling your kids, do it because I said so, you're making your kids dumb. Yeah. If you're telling your if you're if you're telling your kids, I need you to do this because of this, this, and this, you're teaching their brain to make those connections instead of just point A to B, A to F. Right. And you're creating smarter children and smarter dogs. I don't know I don't know how everything gets tied back to kids and dogs, but that's part of it. So Well they've got the most malleable brains. I guess so. So, on the, from Aficionado, my favorite cigar. So, this is a whole um, series that Aficionado does about people's favorite cigars. Alonzo Morning, Miami Vice, Vice, 
Miami, Miami Heat Vice. Vice President. Yeah, him. Um, New World by A.J. Fernandez. Okay. So I really don't care what he smokes. I really like the thought better of every time I see one of these, these guys smoking a cigar, I judge them by their cigar selection. I want to judge, you know, because you see the guy that smokes. So Alonzo Mourning smoking a New World by A.J. Fernandez. That speaks well of him. Yeah. It's, well, for a couple of reasons, right? He's a vice president of a billion-dollar franchise. I'm sure it's not a billion dollars, but any franchise in pro sports. And he's smoking a $7, $8 cigar. Yeah, he, that means he doesn't feel like he has anything to prove. Exactly. He doesn't need to impress you with his cigar. And I like that. I also like that that's a cigar guy's cigar. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the guy, oh, I only smoke the Opus X BBMF, right. you know. And you're like, okay, you're just trying to show out. You're not really, you're not really smoking a cigar at this point. So it's interesting. My question is, should we even care what celebrities smoke? See, I don't think we should. Uh, you know, it's this whole, it's the whole reality TV movement. It's the the tabloid popularity from a bygone era, which I don't even know if they still print tabloids like they used to. I don't care. You know, celebrities, they're just like us. Well, yeah, of course they are. Like, they just have a lot more money and they get their picture taken more often. Okay, we have to, we have, everybody make a bet with yourself in your brain when I ask this question. Did Trey watch the coronation? Now, everybody, if there's nobody listening that has listened to more than one episode of this podcast, that if you said, did Shane watch Coronation would say yes. Yeah, no, no, no. Universally, no. Nobody. Mm-hmm. But the bet is, did Trey watch the Coronation? Hold on, I have to make my bet. I'm going to say no, not out of disdain, but more out of probably a practicality. You probably had, you know, a cat in the oven, had to put the cake out. Something like that. Hold on a second before you answer. No, Derek. it's funny. It's funny. I did bake a cake this weekend. Hold on a second. Derek, do you think Trey watched the coronation? What's that? Do you think Trey watched the coronation on Saturday? Absolutely, he watched the coronation. Okay, we got one, one yes. yes. We got one yes, one no. Thank you. Okay, Glenda thinks he did. Okay, we're, so ta- we're taking an a, informal poll we've here. We've got a pretty cigar. much unanimous yes that I now, watched the coronation. I, th- I think you didn't. I don't think it was because you didn't want to. I think it was more a... Um, Could not have been less interested. No kidding. Absolutely do not give a shit. Wow. Yeah. Also, That's- you had the Derby this weekend, and Formula One was in Miami this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Hey. He's never barked at anybody before. <laughs> Derek's business partner, Tom, just walked in the shop, and, and Benny has lost his mind. <laughs> hey. hey, That's interesting. Okay. This, this is, is going to be the most off-the-rails show ever. Yeah, I have this, never heard you bark before. This pod is way out there. After yeah. the show, we're going to have to get Benny and Todd. <laughs> we're going to have to get Benny and Todd together. That's going to be interesting to see. But, okay, moving forward to the article. Sorry, everybody. Back to the cigar. So you did not watch the coronation. I did not watch the coronation. Could not have been bothered. Um, but 
you know, no, so I, yeah, I really don't care about the celebrities or the royal family or anything like that. What I like about articles like this, though, it, you know, the first one is the vice president, Miami Heat. The second one was, uh, the second one wasn't Ray Lewis, but Ray Lewis is on there. Uh, you know, there are a couple of athletes. I'm right. like, okay, this is just going to be a bunch of athletes I've never heard of. But they go so far as to talk about off, like do profiles on authors and a concert violinist and a painter and these other people that you wouldn't, you know, a couple of actors, you know, McConaughey was on there and a couple of, I just thought it was so, such a well done piece to go, not only this is the wide variety of cigars that people smoke, but this is the re- wide variety of people who smoke cigars. I liked that angle to it. So moving forward from field guy. Oh, excuse me, fieldgoals.com. Official cigar release. So every week, so the reason I had to do this article, every week when I look for content for the show, there's always cigar thoughts. And it's this dude that smokes a cigar and talks about football. Okay. And always the same, and I, and I always skip the articles because I'm, I'm not interested about somebody else's opinion about football. I just, I'll just watch it. I don't have to get that right. into it. Speaking, since we were already off the rails, is the wall-to-wall coverage of the draft just as annoying to you as it is to me? Probably, if I paid attention to it. I just, I can't get away from it. Like, I, I don't want to pay attention to it, but that's all they talk about at the other shop. It was all that was talked about, you know, people I was around that weekend. It was just, like, it's if you enjoy the sport of football, that's fine. Enjoy the sport of football. I, it just the the going like trying to ooh I bet they're going to draft this person or I guess well just wait thirty minutes you'll find out well and here's the thing how much energy in your life are you putting into something that you remember you know oh yeah you know Jim Joe Bill Bob from Mokowi State score you know he's going to go number eighty four in the you know okay to me once you extend past the top ten in the draft. You're out. You, at that point, you should not know who anybody is. Right. Once the top ten players have been, or even I'll give you the first round. If you make it through the first round, first thirty-two. Yeah, that's fine. But once beyond that, you shouldn't know who anybody is. It shouldn't even be televised at that point. Yeah. Make it like the Oscars. It's the technical draft at that point. Yeah, I mean, unless, read about it in the funny papers. Unless they played specifically for your team, you should have no concept of who they are. Right. But so. Here's my question. So this guy is they're finally releasing their um, first cigar and it does the exclusive cigar thoughts cigars. So this is the exclusive cigars of this person that does these cigar thoughts and apparently he's pretty successful at it. Um, they don't have his name looking on at here. the sheer volume of ads on this page, I can understand why. Um, now, it is nice. He's doing bundles of 10 for $169, so that's $16. So at least that. But here's my bigger question. I'll get on to the point. Sorry, I've been meandering. Is it ever going to get, you know how it is now in alcohol? Every time you get a celebrity, he starts a vodka, and then he turns around and sells it for a bazillion dollars. You know, Ryan, or what's his name? Ryan Reynolds and George Clooney, and I think Sammy Hagar started all that. No, Ryan Reynolds bought a soccer team. Does he have an alcohol brand, yeah, too? Yeah, he, he used the money from the alcohol brand to buy the okay. soccer team, I think. Um, but they do, 
all of that. Is that ever going to happen with cigars? Is it ever going to be, are we ever going to have our cigars inundated with celebrity? We might. You know, we've seen it with the Big Poppy. We've seen it with the, the Blackened. Uh, you know, we've got some celebrity tie-ins. But what's, what's different, I think, is you don't see any celebrities buying cigar companies or starting cigar companies. They, they do a blend. They do a line here and there. I think we're a ways off. You know, if anyone was going to do it, Michael Jordan. Sure. Steve Harvey. Bruce Willis. You know, those are the first Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. You know, those are the guys that would have done it. So right. someone has done the math. Yeah, someone, you know, someone has done the math, and it may be, um, you know, that it's cool to drink and not cool to smoke. Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely that. There may be some of that. Yeah, because how much, you'd never be able to do a PG-13 movie ever again, because it would be, oh, you know, you're trying to appeal to kids. Right. So there, there's probably some political pressure that'll kind of keep, and I'm okay with this. I'm okay I don't need Sylvester Stallone to sponsor my cigar for me to enjoy it. Especially because, kind of going back to the gimmick topic that we touch all the time in here, if it's a cigar I like and then a celebrity gets attached to it, I'm going to have a hard time picking it up after that. Yeah, and I Because the last thing I want someone to think is that I'm a fanboy, especially in my cigar choice. Well, you know, Joe Rogan, he always has a cigar on his podcast. And Foundation makes the Joe Rogan cigar, but Foundation does not sell the Joe Rogan cigar. See, I'm cool with that. To me, that's the that's a cool way to do it because then it's it's they're not trying to cash in. It's not that big a deal. It's just, hey, this is something I enjoy. This is something pure, and kind of, and maybe once a year say, okay, we had an outstanding crop, and we've got two thousand boxes of these to sell. Who wants them? Right. And let that be it. But never make it a regular release type situation. Yeah, I hope we don't end up with that with that tie-in. I do too. I hope not. So, But yeah, I think based on this guy's you know, priors and the fact that he is so interested, I don't think this is a play to, to eventually launch this as like sell the brand off. I think this is just him. This is just him making a little cash. And there, and there is something to that. Now, what's your thoughts on the freestyle cigar as of this moment? I like it. It's got a lot of body to it for being such a small cigar. It's pretty strong. I'd say medium full, if oh, not definitely, full. Definitely, yeah. Full, pretty pretty full cigar. Pretty full, it's a Liga. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, not a doubt in my mind this is not a Liga cigar. Yeah. And I do think it's a medium filler cigar, though I'm, I am colored by seeing the one they cut apart on well, Facebook. That's fair. But it also, it smokes like the Papas Fritas. You know, the Papas Fritas put out a tremendous amount of smoke right. and volume. Which Drew Estate cigars, by and large, do that. Some more so than others. Well, yeah. Some are better than others. But I, I'm actually really enjoying it. It's going to depend. This is a cigar that my ability to purchase this cigar is going to depend entirely upon its price point. Well, yeah. Is, is it going to be released at this size, too, do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they always do. The, you know, when they did the Metallica cigar, the four-pack had all four sizes. Oh, okay. And in the past, like even in the Adobe, they, the pack had all the sizes. Okay, he's under the chair. <laughs> they have all, So they generally do it in all the sizes, and I think that's what this is, is I think this will be their short cigar entry, which I like. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've got room. There's room in my life as a smoker for this cigar. 
So the problem is it won't fit on your smoke and ride the Bowden ashtray. Okay, so this is less about this ashtray because this is a hideous ashtray. To I make. think it's gorgeous. Oh, it's hideous. It's beautiful. Anything that I can make with a router and a skill saw and a little time. See, it's but it's not about that. I mean, and this is a fundamental difference between the two of us. Like, you are practicality for practicality's sake only. Absolutely. You have no time in your life for the aesthetic. So, just things looking away because they look the way you hate steampunk you hate you know most modern architectural design i'm the opposite i can appreciate something looking cool just for the sake of looking cool it's 40 dollars. it doesn't have a deep bowl so it's not going to be great outdoors right it's going to so your ash is always going to be blowing in your face right which this goes back so to but at the same time i think it's beautiful but that brings me to, so you're in the show notes you put, is there a, is there a least important, is there a less important cigar accessory than an right. ashtray? Other than the little cigar rest that comes with those Drew Estate freestyle packs, I think you're right. But, because I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to use that sitting outside because A, it's impractical. B, if I'm outside, I'm pitching my ash in the yard. Well, and you're not going to bring your own ashtray into the lounge. Right. And so, who is this for but maybe the handful of people who have a smoking room in their house or just smoke in their house? Maybe if you smoke in like a sunroom and it's not indoors but also not outdoors, kind of like you guys, like... You guys use ashtrays on the porch because it's it's a semi-enclosed structure. It's not just... Well, but we use, we still both use the stinkies. We yeah, use yeah. the deep ashtrays because even on our porch, as enclosed as it is, the wind will blow ash in your face if you right. don't have a deep ashtray. But yeah, I think this is great. I love it. So this conversation was had in here before you got here tonight. At what point are your accessories a status symbol? At what point... Have you left the necessity of the accessory behind and are, are kind of... A, and not, I'm not even saying it's bad to have a status symbol as an accessory. Well, part of the reason I smoke a soft, I use a soft flame lighter is, is kind of based in that. Now, it is my preference. But I also, when I first started carrying a soft flame, the Calibri Metropolitan back in the day, it, it was because it was different. It wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't super expensive. It wasn't a status symbol in that regard. But it was, I liked that it was just a little different. So maybe not so much a status symbol as a, an extension of your personality. Well, yeah. Well, and what, it, what is an extension of your personality if not a way to stand out? Well, for some people, it's to blend in. If you've got a really abrasive personality and you already stand out too much, some of it can be about, oh, look, I'm not a lunatic. Uh, no, I'm okay being a lunatic. <laughs> well, we all know that. <laughs> the, you know, I get a lot of mileage out of being the eccentric home designer. People tend not to, you know, I, I get a lot of mileage because I can tell somebody, yeah, that makes no sense. That's a dumb ideal. Yeah. And instead of them saying, oh, he's insulting me, they say, oh, okay, he's just eccentric. So... The cutter. To me, the cutter is essential, but let's be honest, a buck ninety nine cutter will do the job. Sort of. Even within that realm, there are you know, there are better 
and and worse options. Right. Now this is from the man that carries a four hundred dollar cutter. <laughs> I wish I carried. Oh no, no I do. you do. Yeah. <laughs> no, but mine. But mine was gotten for me as a gift. That's so true. I, that's I got true. the loophole. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, and it's well, which is funny you say that because your wife carries the the quasar table cutter around with her. So you, you guys are kind of cornering the market on eccentric cutter. Um, yes, the the cheap plastic ones. But you know, as we've mentioned on the show recently, now they all come with that solid back, which isn't isn't great practical practicality wise. I think I think there's a big jump. Yes, a, a cutter, any cutter will do. But the reason Zycar XI1, 2, and 3s have stood the test of time is because they are that extra little bit more. Yeah, they are. And they're not that much out of the realm of price. Right. You know, I've, had, I've been looking for a nice leather backpack. And looking for a nice leather backpack is tough. Yeah. Because you can go online, and going online, anything that says made in China, out. I'm done. Not, not even touching it, not even fooling with it. But then you get to the ones and you start trying to really zoom in and really get tight on, okay, does this have the... Is it bonded du- leather right? versus... Is it double stitch? Is it top grain? Is it... What is this leather? You know, you really start delving more deeply into that. And once you get to that point, you're paying $600 for a backpack. Yeah. And, you know, I don't mind buying it well once. I would much rather buy it once and it be something that's going to last me a long time as to buy something cheap and have to replace it every two or three years. So, and this may be a fundamental difference in our philosophies as well. And I'm, I'm of the buy it cheap once. If you wear it out, buy nice the second time. So, like, whether it's tools, whether it's backpacks, duffel bags, you name it, dog leashes... The first time, I'm going to buy it cheap. Golf clubs were a perfect example. My first set of golf clubs I got from Play It Again Sports for less than $100. And it, it, once I realized that I was using them twice a week and that I was sticking with it and all that, when the head of my 7-iron went further than the ball I hit on the driving range... And it was time to... to right. Okay. I'll spend the money on a good set that's going to last, last the length. Yeah, and I guess that's it. It's all, it's all situational. Because I did the same thing with golf clubs. I bought cheap ones till I seen if I was going to enjoy golf, if it was something that was going to be fiscally possible, because golf is a large investment. Yeah. If time-wise it was going to be possible, if how hard was it going to be to find people to play golf with, and so I did start out cheap with golf clubs and step up. But something like, you know, my hunting gear. Yeah. Um, you know, well, you've already gotten to the point where you know that's going to get use. Right. My, you know, I wear Sitka hunting gear. And my Sitka coat's like 400 bucks, And it's worth every penny. Right. Because when you're freezing to death in a deer stand, you would be amazed what you would pay for a nice coat. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but... I am of the opinion to buy nice, but it's got to be nice with longevity. Right. And, you know... You're not paying for a brand name. You're paying for quality. Well, and if I didn't have my kit, coming back to cigars, if I didn't have my kit, I would only buy cheap lighters. Right. Because I would know I was going to lose them. 
I would know that over the course of time, I was going to lose whatever lighter I bought. I'd go right over here to the shelf and I'd buy one of the $10 lighters and that would be, and that would light my cigars. That being said, I still would never buy an ST DuPont. I don't want a couple of hundred bucks in a lighter. I don't really either, but I can see, but there are people out there that, that still buy Rolexes. You know, for whatever reason, you know, I put my Apple Watch up against any Rolex, and I realize they're complete. They're bought by completely different people. Sure, but I've got no time for status symbol for the sake of status symbol. Absolutely. Well, speaking of which, time. Yeah. Why don't we step away for a break? All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about CLE's big cigar. We're going to talk about Drew Estate's cigar and, and aliens and UFOs. All right. We'll be back with that more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who I'm challenging to use the word smoked during the second half of this podcast. All right. I always hate when people say, and so I smited him with my blade. No, you smoked him with your blade. (laughs) So I'm challenging you during the second half of this podcast to you. I had a great joke all about how much drinking had been done in the past You know, you had Cinco de Mayo, then the Coronation, then the Kentucky Derby. How much drinking people actually did, but that really don't fit with your lifestyle. So I decided I will challenge you to utilize the word smoked. You know, it's funny. Because I was driving... Was it? I was driving on Cinco de Mayo. I was driving home... Oh, I was driving home from here on St. Patrick's Day. It was the most recent time I thought about it. And, you know, I drive a reasonable speed because I keep a app on my phone that I get basically free money from my insurance company if I drive, you know, right. safely. But it was one of those things I was thinking about that day. I was like, I can't wait for the next time I get pulled over and the cop says, have you been drinking tonight? Not since June 2nd of 2017. Thank you very much. If I was a police officer and someone said that, I'd say... I'll make you a deal. If you can show me the chip, I won't write you a ticket. I need to start. I need to start carrying it in my pocket. Uh, I, that's absolutely who I would be as a police officer. Is, hey, if you can whip that chip out and show it to me right now, you get a free pass. If not, whip out the driver's license because we're about to start riding. At <laughs> <laughs> all, that would just be my my thing. So no, it's funny. My my wife actually gives me. I mean, I don't I don't do the AA thing anymore, and. But I like the idea of um, tokens of milestones. Sure. You know, it's the same reason trophies are popular and, and things like that. And so as a, as a, every year on the anniversary, she gets me a coin. Yeah, that's, and that's cool. That's a good move. So have we ever been this low in our cigars at this stage in the podcast? No. <laughs> no, we're, we're both smoking. I've got about an inch and a half left. And all, you're probably sitting the inch and five-eighths, inch and three-quarter. Yeah. And we've never been this low at this point. But they're excellent cigars. Yeah. I'm trying to smoke it slow, but it just doesn't want that. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's the cigar that it is. So Drew Estate makes Liga Provada H99 Connecticut Corojo Super Rancho, 
<laughs> new event only cigar. Hey, could we spend a little more, uh, burn a little more ink on the label of this right. one? Right. <laughs> no, I mean. It's a good thing they don't charge by the letter at yeah. the printing press. Liga Provada H99 Connecticut Corojo Super Ancho. Okay, what is Ancho? I thought it was a chili pepper. Uh, maybe. So Super Ancho 6x60. For it fills the the long um, big ring gauge request that Drew Estate's been getting. Super Ancho means wide, wide, super super wide. Okay, it makes sense. Uh, uses wrapper grown by one farm in the Connecticut River Valley, exclusively for Drew Estate, and a leaf that is a hybrid derived from stalk cut Habano and Connecticut Corojo. Underneath is a Mexican San Andreas Altapan Ultimo Corte Banda. Binder and filler from Honduras. <laughs> yeah. Hey, at least they went to the trouble to describe it. Uh, yeah. At least they went to the trouble to thoroughly describe it in this article. And this and is hey, a look, I'm a card. cigar nerd, right? Like, give me the details. I'm, oh my gosh, that is more info on a cigar I've ever wanted. Those are a lot of words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole lot of words. I burned like half of my word count for the day just reading the description. But this is kind of Drew Estate stock and trade, the event-only cigar. Has you know, been for a while. Yeah, you know, they had the manifesto that you only got when you met with Jonathan Drew, and then they had the H90, and they had, you know, they've always seemed to have this event-only cigar, which works good for Drew Estate. I mean, it's part of their culture, their marketing plan, is to give people reasons to go to the event. Yeah, Tw- 21 a stick, $21 a stick, not bad for the legal line these days. That's about what they cost. About standard. Uh, looks a little lighter. Looks like it may be closer to the T52 line than the regular line if you look at the wrapper just from the pitcher on half wheel. Yeah, I'll give you that. But while we're hitting cigars, let's hit one more. CLE to enter new price point with $60 Asylum Cigar. I'm trying my hardest to figure out why you're so obsessed with these high price point cigars. You've brought an article about a $60 cigar to the show just about every week for the last month. It's because of the amount of stuff I'm doing around here. The amount of, you know, humidor consulting I'm doing around here on this at this shop. Yeah. I, when you said that earlier, I had to I put some thought into it. Um, because there's been a lot of really good cigars come in here that we just couldn't carry because the price point was too high. Yeah. Cigars that I would love to smoke, but I know if I bought a box of them, you know, um, two weeks ago we talk, smoked, talked about the Sigmund Freud cigar. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, I was sitting in here the other night and Mark said, hey, I talked to these people at TPE and I want you to try this cigar. And it was a Freud. Oh. It was the Super Eco. Outstanding. Yeah. One of the, I mean, absolutely outstanding stick. Construction was excellent. Flavor was excellent. Wrapper was good. So much better than I thought it would be when I picked it up. I thought gimmick cigar. Right. But outstanding cigar. But I look at the MSRP, 20 bucks. Yeah. And it's like, man, it's, I just don't know how to move another, you know, there's a ceiling on the amount of $20 cigars you can have in that humidor. Yeah. Well, it's also one of those things, too, like, you know, if you're the kind of guy that is smoking $8 and $10 cigars, there are some really good offerings in that price point. And, you know, if you need to stretch to go to 12 every once in a while, okay, fine. 
but if you're the guy, and you know, especially as prices go up, you know, I was a seven, eight dollar cigar smoker, and now I'm more of a ten, twelve dollar cigar smoker because that's that's what they've all become. If you're an eighteen dollar cigar smoker and have been for let's say ten years, all that's really happened is that yes, yeah, some of your favorite cigars are up to twenty now, but now cigars that you would have turned your nose up at you know five ten years ago now the world is open to some really great cigars that you would have walked by right because great cigars have come up into that price point now at twenty dollars like that eighteen dollar cigar guy he's not moving up he doesn't have to right there was a lot of times where we would say oh well sixteen dollars this is a pricey cigar yeah now it's not by comparison it's not that pricey right and in fact i would say if we looked at median price of cigars sold in this country the past two years, I bet it's close to 14 Yeah, I mean, our average in here is going to be the 12 to $14 stick. Yeah. So there's that. And the you hate to buy a cigar and have it just set on the shelves. Right. Also, there's the aspect of, yes, this is a cigar lounge, but this is also kind of a social club. There's a lot of socializing and all that go on here. So would you rather somebody come in here and spend their whole, you know, budget, quote, on a $20 stick and only be here for an hour and drink a beer and a half or buy two $8 cigars and spend two or three hours in here right. and really engage and things like that? Yeah, you know, it, it's tough because that's the, you know... Every cigar in the country has a sign-up or at least a policy unwritten about not bringing outside tobacco in, right? Because, yes, if you buy a cigar in here, whether you buy a $20 cigar or an $8 cigar, you still get access to the same facilities. The right. Wi-Fi, the TVs, the you know the camaraderie, the conversation, whatever. So it becomes a kind of a based on what you're trying to accomplish with your shop, I think. So do you want the kind of place where people hang out all night? Then yeah, you'd probably rather them buy two $8 cigars as opposed to one sixteen. But if you're trying to kind of minimize the overhead per guest, you yeah. probably like the one guy that spends an hour and 15 minutes in here smoking a $20 cigar. Yeah, if you view the shop as seat rent, Mm -hmm. then, yeah, the $20 cigars fit your model because it gets people in and out of here quickly. But if you view the shop as a place where, you know, really good stuff happens, it kind of, the $20 cigar does not fit as well into that model. So this, this cigar, just to finish it up, just so I don't sell it short and focus totally on the price, uh, it's according to Christian Aroa, and he's the founder and president of the C. CLE, the Aroa family, is just, you know, historic tobacco family. And he says the high cost is the incorporation of the Pinellarino and Cuban seed the pack tobacco that this family doesn't normally grow. So, okay, at least he gave me a reason. Yeah. Which is kind of what I've been telling you the whole time. But you just had to hear it from Christian to believe it? Well, in the cigar business, his credibility kind of stands upon its own. Hey, we've got 281 <laughs> episodes that kind of give us some credibility, we kind I of, kind of move toward that. All right. So let's, let's hit this little fun article. No, we did two cigar articles. We can do something fun. Yeah. Man builds UFO display of two encounters with cigar-shaped aliens and aircraft. Or cigar-shaped aircraft and aliens. And we've talked about this before, how... 
anything longer than it is wide, people call cigar-shaped. Yeah, because you can actually see in one of the photos the the cigar-shaped. It, it looks like a bomb. It yeah. doesn't really look that cigar-shaped to me. Yeah, it, it looks the Drew Estate egg. Maybe he's a, maybe he smokes yeah. the Drew Estate egg. So okay, one thing I do like is it's <laughs> yeah is instead of taking a picture, he actually did sculptures of these craft that supposedly abduct him. Where do you stand on alien abduction? So here's the thing, uh, you know I love the idea. So. You know, you get you get all worked up about Bigfoot. I like the alien stuff. Now, I don't buy into it. I don't listen to podcasts or whatever. But I think it's just as credible to think that there's, you know, there's alien life form. Now, the likelihood that they've managed, you know, inter interstellar travel to the point that they could come visit us, I think, is a little far-fetched. But... I mean, I guess if the aliens had, or if the dinosaurs had evolved to our level of cognitive being over the course of however many billions of years, we'd probably be there now. Um, they always go to the probing. I cannot think of, you know, you know, if you say, oh, I saw aliens, I was abducted by aliens, like your credibility is already on the, on the ground floor, right? As soon as you start talking about probing, it's, you're, you're done. Well, you know, if you came, if you were walking in the woods, you're hunting one night or one morning, and you're walking through the woods, and you see a, an animal that you've never seen before, that you're just confused by, looks like a cross between a chipmunk, a groundhog, and a deer, is the first idea in your mind to shove a medical instrument <laughs> yeah. up its ass? Yeah, let's lift up the tail and have a look. Right. I just don't know... <laughs> well, it would be, and maybe this is the human being in me, but so any any civilization, any say, let's say type one civilization that could master interstellar travel and has done that and has arrived at our planet is going to be so. It's going to be like visiting an ant hill. They're going to be so innately superior. Wouldn't they just dissect you? Wouldn't it just be right. a quick? Why would they go through the? There are eight billion people on this planet. Right. Wouldn't you just snatch one up and dissect them if you yeah. want to know what was going on? If I if I wanted to know what the insides of an ant looked like, I would not snatch an ant up and try to you know and try to probe it. Right. I w- and and then release it back to tell the tale to the other ants. So that is my only thing about this. But this guy, I mean, he's very. Very earnest, it seems like. Although, isn't that kind of what we do with fish? If you think about it, like, fish is swimming around in the lake. Let's assume you're doing catch and release. Right. So, out of nowhere, he's out, he's hunting, and out of nowhere, he gets pulled towards this bright light. Nothing he can do fights it. Nothing around him is being pulled up, just him. And then he gets... You know, where the, he can't breathe, it's really bright, it's dry, it's uncomfortable, and then people start shoving things in his gills. Right. It'd be like, so maybe the probing is them just sticking fingers in our mouths. Maybe that's what Maybe it's, they're confused. Well, they probably don't understand the, so, the cultural implications of, right. of the probing. You know, but that's, and then we let him back to tell the story to his friends. We're, we're alien abducting fish. I want to think about... All of the the things aliens would see in our society, if you had an alien and you were trying to explain to him our society, 
how big and monstrous and fearsome would they think fish are? Because, okay, yeah, this is Billy. He's a bass fisherman. So that's a $70,000 bass boat. That's $10,400 or $500 rods and reels. We've hooked GPS locator from satellites to his trolling motor to get him back to the point the fish are at. Nets and all of the various accoutrements. They the same have, level of armament that they send their gladiators off into the wilderness right. with. They would have to think that our fish are giant. You know, a shark would be a disappointment to these guys. Right. <laughs> and all. So it was an interesting article to touch real quick. Okay, you want to talk prohibition? Yeah, I mean, we can. I just thought it was interesting because it's a topic that, that we've sort of hit on a lot on the show in the past, which is that prohibition never works. And so this article from Vox is from uh, Jermaine Lopez, and it kind of gives the history of, of Carrie Hatchett, you know, walking into the taverns and just destroying the place in the name of temperance, and, and what led to prohibition, and ultimately it's it's being repealed, but when we when the average person thinks of prohibition, we think of bootleggers and the mob and speakeasies. Those are kind of the three, and the fact that people still drank, they just hid it. Right, and some cases didn't even have to hide it well. Right. But he goes on and he gives, and I, it's a long article, so I'm not I'm not going to go. But basically, the perception of failure is a major reason that America hasn't taken much act. Action on alcohol. You know, 88,000 people a year, I think it was, die in deaths linked to, to alcohol, sure. which is more than gun deaths. It's more than alcohol or more than automotive accidents and a number of other things. But we've got this idea that prohibition didn't work. But when you actually look at the kind of the stats and figures about actually alcohol consumption did go down as a result. And in some ways, it stayed down for a period of time, if you account for population and things like that. I don't think... I think alcohol consumption went down naturally more so than anything to do with prohibition. I think it's the same reason that donut consumption has gone down as people have became healthier. It's the same reason that Dunkin' Donuts had to get out of the donut business and into the coffee business. You've got that backwards. (laughs) Duncan Duncan was a coffee chain first. They added Duncans to the name so that people in the South would go there. Well, I can <laughs> tell you, if you go to Dunkin' Donuts today, they're in the coffee business. They're not in the well, yeah, donut but they, business. But they've always been in the coffee business, is my point. So there's a couple of problems I have with this article. One, the whole concept that, oh, my husband beats me when he drinks, so if he doesn't drink, he won't beat me. I think a man's either a beater or he's not. I I don't think there's a drink. I don't think drink. No, but alcohol makes you more of what you are. And, you know, far be it for me to say to the woman who who can can clearly state if he comes home drunk, I'm going to get beat. If he comes home sober, I'm not. And I think it's it's pretty easy to draw that line of correlation. I think more often than not is if he comes home drunk, I get beat more than I do if he comes home not drunk. And I think that all has to do with one is it's a poor it's a poor choice in a mate that'll beat you. <laughs> so I mean that that whole part of it that oh we'll we'll stop the drinking. No, why don't we address the issues 
that he has that makes him want to beat someone. But again, if you get beaten more when he's drunk than you do when he's sober, then it's then there's still a connection between but alcohol being part a, of the problem. That's not a... This is a... That's a personal problem. That's not a public problem. Oh. You shouldn't make your personal problem a public crusade. You're avoiding... The oh issue. my God, that's what politics is, is making personal problems public crusades. No. Yes. The fact that my husband beats me when he drinks, so I don't want nobody to be able to drink, that's, it. that's illogical. The, enough people get together who that's their shared experience, and it becomes a movement. And that's exactly what happened. Yes and no, they browbeat enough people into doing it. And realistically, you know, I read the um, Generous Poor, the Jimmy Kelly book here, and they talked about prohibition very extensively in that book, and it was really interesting because the first, um, you know, when first the prohibition came into effect, Nashville just didn't enforce it. Right. They said, okay, fine, you got prohibition. We're not enforcing it. We're not going to enforce these stupid laws. Well, then the state passed a law. You have to enforce it. So the penalty for getting caught drunken in Nashville? One dime. <laughs> and all. So the, it kind of was a doomed... It was, they had to see the signs that this was a poor ideal. And here's the thing. Women, if your men are beating you, address the fact your men are beating you. If they're beating you when they're drunk, don't make the rest of the world quit drinking. Why don't you get a man that don't beat you? But this is also a time in the country where women weren't allowed to have bank accounts on their own. They weren't allowed to get divorced. Like, there was so much, like, this was their only option. You can't tell me that a woman that'll walk into a bar with a sledgehammer and start beating alcohol and beating alcoholics couldn't have took control of her husband at her house. <laughs> Makes you wonder what he was like, doesn't it? Yeah, you, you just can't take that. I, anyway, so, like, obviously, you know, I, I still am of the mindset that prohibition didn't work in this country, but this was an interesting article to me because it gives some evidence that maybe it was a little more effective than we thought. And that the, the movie industry has been able to rely on the the parts of prohibition not working that we go that we'll buy tickets to and it's kind of perpetuated this myth that it was an abject failure at the at the very worst it was just it was maybe not an abject failure but it didn't work for a number of reasons i can appreciate viewing a different perspective even if i don't agree with it so it got me thinking and we don't have just a whole lot of time on this but i think you know we talked about We've talked about this a lot, you know, living in the gray area, you know, very few things in life, if not nothing, is black and white. Right. It's all about a spectrum. It's all about nuance. And, you know, whether it's, you know, Bill Cosby or Thomas Edison, you know, people who did some pretty heinous things, some incredibly, not even pretty heinous, incredibly heinous things, but who also have benefits. So prohibition is a good example. It, let's say that we can trust this article that it did reduce the amount of alcohol consumption in the country. That's a net positive. If you believe that that's a net positive, sure, that's a sure, net positive. Sure. But it allowed the mob to proliferate. It allowed a lot of profiteering in the public sector for people not enforcing things like that. So does the, does the good outweigh the bad? And I'm like, so it just got me thinking of like, what's the, what's the benchmark? What's the litmus test? And can you quantify it? 
Well, so let me bring it down to a level that most people listening to us will understand. Had this argument minutes before you came in today about homeowners associations. Now... I know who you were having that argument with. <laughs> people, people hear me bitch about homeowners associations from time to time, but I would like to go on record and say eight out of ten homeowners associations that I deal with are fine. They're just there to protect the interest of the people in the neighborhood. They're just there so that the guy that comes in, you know, we had a neighbor come in and instantly put a whole bunch of trash in his driveway. Right. And the HOA stepped up and said, hey, that's not allowed in this neighborhood. And, of course, he raised cane on Facebook and everything else. But in the end of the day, he got the trash out of his yard. Right. And if we had not had an HOA, we would have had no recourse to have got this guy to get the trash out of his yard. Um, driving through a neighborhood this weekend, I told Glenda, we were yard selling, I said, we need to take a picture of this house and send it to the person who I was arguing with and show him this is why you need HOAs because we was in a neighborhood with no HOA. And here on one side, you have a great, beautiful house, yards immaculate, shrubs are trimmed, house has been washed, clean. The other side, you have another nice-looking house. Not as good as the one on this side, but still a very good house. And then in the middle, you got the guy whose yard is knee-high, and he's got a washing machine on the front porch and a broke-down car in the driveway and oil stains all over the place and hasn't washed washed his house since he moved in. Yeah. And those are the reasons you need HOAs. So does the to quantify exactly what we're talking about, I think the net good of HOAs if you're going to live in a subdivision far outweighs the articles you see where, oh, the HOA said I couldn't have an American flag in my front yard. I think they're, I think the net good far outweighs the net bad when it comes to homeowners associations. Yeah, I think, I think it's just so, it's so funny when you can't, when you, you talk to people, you know, unions are another example. You know, unions have gotten a really bad rap for, you know, the the excessive dues and the you know the basically impossible to be fired. And I know that uh, you only see the bad in unions, but most of the labor laws that we have on the books that protect employees were pulled out of the pages of, of union handbooks and and agreements. So there was a time and and we still see the benefits of unionization in this country today and now we've just it's been expanded the minimum wage that idea even though it didn't come directly out of use but that idea started with the unions there was a yes there was a time when the unions were necessary i think that time is long past but that's an argument for another time um the the fact of the matter is i do think in life it is shades of gray. I think you short yourself. And I think it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show. And all smart people make longer connections in their mind than less smart people. Less smart people see black and white. Smart people do see the shades of gray. And I think that's a big part of, you know, I've had the discussion in here a number of times. You know, you brought up Bill Cosby. What the Cosby show did culturally in America was pretty amazing mm-hmm. as far as changing perceptions of what an African-American family is and how they lived and how that worked and everything like that. His contribution to American society really was significant. And it's kind of a shame that he did the other things he did and he's going to lose that legacy 
that you know people are going to always instead of thinking about the good he done, they're always going to think about the bad he did. But that I mean I think let that be a lesson to us, right? Of you know, the difference between fame and infamy. You know people. You know, how many times do you go to McDonald's on you know let's say a yearly basis? For me, it's like six. Yeah. And you know, do you remember all but the bad ones? You know, it's it's that human nature. We're always going to get you know. Alexander Graham Bell is one that I think of a lot, and a lot of people don't even know that he has villain status, but among the deaf community, he absolutely was a supervillain in some of the things he did to subjugate that population. And so you think about the, the telephone, and, you know, and then you know, by virtue of that, you know, cable and right. internet, and all of those things can be traced back to kind of the groundwork he led you know he he laid down with the you know with the telephony system and it's like it's really easy to see the benefits but if you're part of the group that really saw the negative it 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 really colors your judgment on that it's really hard to stay objective well and but again the difference is being able to be objective yeah being able for somebody to offend you and say well on the surface, yes, that's offensive, but as a bigger part of the wheel, that's not a that's not a bad thing. So, yeah, I think there it comes down to a lot of that. So, what do you what is your guess on the Liga Freestyle or the Freestyle Live? What is what do you mean guess? Do you have a what do you what would you compare it most closely to? I'm the Papas Fritas. Yeah, you know, it's towards the end. I was starting to get some of that tobacco salad in my mouth as, as the integrity was starting to, to wane from having been smoked for, you know, 35, 40 minutes. If it were a full-size cigar, if it were a, a Toro, I think it'd be a seven, depending on price. Yeah. The, it was excellent. The flavor is excellent. I don't know if it would retain that flavor in that size, but if we, if we go along the model of in of having more of that cigar, yeah. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I don't smoke the Papa's Fritas often. The Papa's Fritas is just enough cigar to make me want a cigar. Right. And that one we smoked was enough cigar to make me want a cigar. So, I'm, you know, I'm probably, I'm going to give it based on the, as a whole, without knowing the price. I'm going to assume the price on that's going to be cheap. I'm going to assume that that's going to be a sub $10 stick. Yeah. So, assuming that's a sub $10 stick, it's a six. There's a utilitarian time. That's a cigar that could fit into my regular smoking room. Yeah. And also, I'll give it a six based on that. Well, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and email info at the cigarcast.com. And please remember to do a rate and review for us if you haven't done one already. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.